Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fighting the Good Fight podcast, the show that highlights the good, the bad, and the ugly truths of the education system in America from my own personal experiences. My name is Tiana, and I am your host. The content on this podcast is my opinion and experiences as a Black woman educator. If you would like to learn more about this podcast and content related to it, be sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, Fighting the Good Fight 45, and visit the websites in the description box below to learn more. In today's episode titled, The Making of a Black Woman Leader in Education, I am going to explore how and why I became a leader in education and whether or not I feel I am achieving the mission I set out to achieve. At the end of the episode, I will leave you with words of encouragement to continue fighting the good fight. So be sure to listen all the way till the end. Let's go. It was the fall of 2003 when I accepted a teaching position at a school district. I was excited and nervous to have my own classroom. When I originally went to college in 1996, I thought I wanted to major in sports management, but soon found out that it was no longer an interest. My mother was an educator and she strongly encouraged me to consider a career in education. I trusted my mother and knew that education was a field one could be successful in because I grew up watching her interact with students and have a significant impact on their lives. I recall moments of children clinging to my mother, hugging her and calling her mom. I always noticed that students and staff had a fond respect for her and her ability to impact children. It was witnessing these interactions, listening to the encouraging words from my mother, and being reminded that you get your summers off that led me to major in education. I would start my first job in a lower elementary classroom. Within my first three years of teaching experience, I knew I was a leader among my colleagues. My colleagues counted on me for advice on how to manage their classrooms or how to deliver effective lessons to their students. By my third year of teaching, I decided to pursue my master's degree so that I could eventually begin a consulting business to be able to support other educators in the field. One of the major areas of focus for me in supporting other educators was training them on intercultural competence, at the time cultural competency. I found that the white female and male teachers that I worked with struggled with making connections with many students of color, specifically black female and male students. There were several conversations that were held in the teacher's lounge that struck a chord with me that validated for me that many teachers held cultural biases against the students they served. After my first year of teaching, I found myself in a space where the building principal would reassign students to my classroom because the students showed more success while in my care. I eventually became the chair of our school cultural competency committee and began immersing the staff in cultural competency training in hopes that it would lessen the biases and assumptions many of them held against students of color. Eventually, though, I began to receive pushback from my building principal about the cultural competency efforts. My principal knew that black male students were underperforming in our school, but the approaches to this problem that the committee wanted to explore were not supported by the principal's office. I eventually earned my master's degree and moved on to another role within the district as instructional coach to continue on my journey of supporting educators navigate diverse classrooms. 
In my next role as an instructional coach, I witnessed demeaning and oppressive practices being held at the school again. I remember one day in particular, I stormed to the principal's office, visibly shook to report that a teacher was using condescending language towards a room full of black and under-resourced students. The manner in which this teacher was talking to the students signaled that there was a belief of low expectations for the students. The tone used was demeaning and animalistic. The principal allowed me to vent about my frustrations with this teacher, agreed that what I was witnessing was not right. But at the end of it all, the principal did absolutely nothing to protect the students. Not even a follow-up conversation with the teacher took place. And the teacher continued behaving in the same way towards the students for the remainder of the school year. I was frustrated, hurt, and disappointed and made the decision that I would pursue educational leadership administration as I wanted to provide students with a leader that would fight against the barriers that institutionalized racism presents in the classroom and school experience. I also made the decision to remain in that particular classroom for all of that school year to protect the students from the teacher's low expectations of them to the best of my ability. In my new role as assistant principal, I thought I had made it. I thought I would finally be able to be in control of the trajectory of school culture within my new building. Well, I was slapped in the face when I discovered that the building principal I worked for was more oppressive than any of my previous experiences. Although the principal and I were successful at turning around a failing school, the approaches this leader took were unsuited of a leader of an oppressed community. The principal was demeaning and lacked empathy for staff, students, and families, and put limited efforts into truly restoring an already oppressed community. Many of the approaches the principal took were extremely punitive, and they continued to embrace the disparities and disproportionalities that persist in education. I recall vividly trying to protect a student from being recommended for expulsion because of an incident that took place. This specific child was finally on a turnaround path after intentional efforts being made by myself and one of the student's classroom teachers. This isolated incident was coupled with past incidences and the principal was trying to get rid of the student through the expulsion process. I stood my ground and defended this student, causing a divide between me and the principal for a short amount of time. Till this day, however, I keep in touch with this student and the student vividly remembers this matter and thanks me for supporting because this student was able to remain in school. After my third year of serving in an assistant principal role, I was named the principal of a local middle school. After spending three years under the purview of a leader that I did not see eye to eye with when it came to student and staff development, I was thrilled to finally be leading in my own school building. I spent four years at my first school and the first three were the best. I finally was able to lead people in a way that built their capacity to support students and students were finally in a building where they felt safe and like they belonged overall. I was able to build a school functioning family. I was intentional about the use of character education for all and restorative practices. I even had an opportunity to spend time discussing intercultural competence to be intentional about addressing the needs of all in our school community. We placed a high value on humanity. I began to see the evidence-based practices I believed in come to fruition, positive behavior interventions and supports, listening to students and witnessing their struggles to help them problem solve, holding high expectations for students and staff, 
frequent communication with parents and families, and tailoring instructional practices to meet the academic needs of students. These are all practices that were proving positive results. I felt accomplished leading the staff and students of my first school building, and I finally had moments where what I strive for in education was reached, and I had a sense of fulfillment. By my fourth year leading the students and staff of the middle school, the school was scheduled to close as a middle school due to right-sizing across the school corporation. This tore the school family I had built apart. Our school put in tremendous effort over the course of three years to make it a community school, and we were victorious in that feat. The staff strive to keep our school community together the next school year and our new school assignments. However, we ended up all being split up. There hasn't been a middle school like it in the community since. It was during my second experience where I began to realize that the approach I believed in to lead others was not honored by members in the central office. It made me begin to ponder if there were intentional efforts being made to push me out of my position as principal of the next assigned middle school. I was getting results in a variety of ways. However, those results were not lifted and or honored, and instead I was beginning to experience discrimination and or a hostile work environment. As more and more studies begin to come out about women in leadership roles, more data suggests that women are seen in a negative light for the same behaviors their male counterparts would exhibit. McKinsey reports in its article titled Women in the Workplace 2022, Many women experience bias not only because of their gender, but also because of their race, sexual orientation, a disability, or other aspects of their identity. And the compounded discrimination can be much greater than the sum of its parts. I, too, originally set out on my educational journey to impact the lives of those being oppressed, only to face the same oppressive behaviors as many students faced at school. I was beginning to face them in the workplace. The data that is shared in the McKinsey report titled Women in the Workplace 2022 is still present today. While all women are more likely than men to face microaggressions that undermine them professionally, such as being interrupted and having their judgment questioned, women of color often experience these microaggressions at a higher rate, and women of color are much more likely than white women to face disrespectful and othering microaggressions that reinforce harmful stereotypes or cast them as outsiders. Yet this has been my experience and the experience is so many others, as the article puts it. There are several black women ready to take on the challenges of the education system and so many other institutions in an effort to bring value, but we are faced with barriers of discrimination and alienation. Many black women are not able to see their dreams to full realization because they are not accepted in their entirety by those in power at the workplace and are not given supportive spaces to be creative and lead. When I stepped into the classroom, I realized that students deserve the best and parents should be able to trust us with their children. My mission is to provide that to our clients and our customers on a daily basis. When I became an educational leader, my mission was to hold staff accountable to high expectations so that they can impact the lives of students in a positive way. I have set out to provide the best school experience for staff and students. Through my experience, however, the more and more I advance, the more difficult it becomes to provide an exceptional school environment for staff and students as I am not seen, heard, or understood as a black woman leader.
So let me leave you with this, my beautiful women in leadership across all sectors that are determined, pure, resilient, authentic, and caring. Take time for you. If you don't feel supported, it's okay to pause and regroup to face another day in the vicarious traumatic experience you may be facing on a daily basis. Know your worth and press forward on a path that you are satisfied with. Our communities benefit from us showing up in our whole selves. Black women are influencers in many aspects of society. Never forget that you are valued and worthy of the utmost respect and care. Until next time, thank you to the listening audience for checking out the Fighting the Good Fight podcast and tune into our next episode, my experience with being treated as an imposter, the opposite of imposter syndrome. If you have a story you'd like to share about the adversities you have faced, please feel free to drop a comment below or email me at fightingthegoodfight45 at gmail.com to have your story referenced on the show. Thank you.